again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. Welcome to SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. We're back with a jam-packed episode. Feature guest, Golden Knights forward Ryan Reeves. You don't want to miss a minute of what Ryan has to say. The crew also talks about the NHL's return to play plan. 24 teams in the mix. How will the Golden Knights fit in? What might the roster look like? And what decisions might Pete DeBoer face? That's all coming up on this edition of SLGND. The Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave. Dan Duva, thanks very much. The band back together again. Although remotely still, Dave Gosher, Shay Knighty, Gary Lawless, and the dulcet tones of Dan Duva. With the introduction to the Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave Podcast. Hashtag SLGND. Well, here we are and, and slowly starting to move in the right direction in the hockey world in a hopeful direction. Uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit. The Golden Knights recently uh, getting into phase two along with the rest of the NHL and uh, voluntary workouts that have uh, got underway recently at uh, City National Arena. But guys, we, we would be remiss, I think, if we didn't start off our podcast by uh, acknowledging what's been going on in the real world. Um, in addition to COVID-19, we've all been dealing with for the last uh, 11 to 12 weeks. Obviously, uh, there's been a lot going on in our country and around the world um, over the last, uh, I guess, couple of weeks now. But it even, I mean, obviously goes back for for centuries, but certainly in the forefront lately. And, you know, look, guys, we, we you know, we want to kind of talk about this a little bit. Obviously, the horrific death of George Floyd has really set off uh, an enormous amount of uh, protests, rallies, peaceful protests, um, for the most part. And look, we sit here as four white men that have never spent a single day as a person of color, as a black person, and have no clue what it's about. Um, but uh, I'll just speak for myself. I think, especially now, this this fault line of of American society, and it's been like this since the beginning of of racism that's haunted us and haunted this country forever. Um, no better time like the present to listen and learn and to be educated. And, and I think hopefully here, uh, through everything that's happened, we're going to be able to take some, some positive steps uh, forward. And, and Lawman, I'll just kind of throw it to you because I know you went to a recent, uh, you know, recent rally here in Vegas. And, and what, was that, what was that like for you to be a part of that that night? Well, I guess I would start with, you know, it's really hard to... We can't understand what uh, what our what our black brothers and sisters have gone through. We you know we have it's not part of our it hasn't been part of our lives. So um, you know you said listen, learn, and that has been a big thing for me is to try and learn uh, as much as I can and to to try and understand as as much as as much as I can and. The best way for me to do that is to uh, to read, to talk to people, and to observe. So you know, I've been kind of going through that uh, that that whole process, watching uh, a lot of a lot of television, a lot of news programs, and uh, um, and hoping a lot too. That's uh, a conversation that Shane and I had the other day. Uh, was that we're hopeful. That this really is uh, the cusp of some, of of 
real, real and lasting change, impactful change so that, um, you know, I, I, you know, can we live in a world without racism? Boy, I wouldn't that be great. Uh, certainly have never experienced that. So um, we went to a, a vigil for, for George Floyd and uh, it was, um, well, there were speeches and there were, uh, they, 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 they played the black national anthem, which I didn't know existed. Uh, they sang, we shall overcome. Uh, a lot of people had signs. Uh, my wife and I s- stood in the middle of the crowd. We were welcomed there and, uh, um, I even asked a few people a few questions. Uh, it was uh, it was it was moving, uh, and uh, again, you know, I mean, like hope is my big is the big word that I kind of keep coming back to right now. Is that uh, um, you know, at a at a minimum, hopeful that we never see anything like what happened uh, to to George Floyd, and I don't mean to uh, to skip over. Uh, you know, Breonna Taylor and uh, and any of the other people that uh, have been um, affected by that kind of racism uh, of light of, of late. And, you know, we could go we, we could we have to name off thousands of people. Right. So uh, that's the most uh, impactful and recent one that 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 comes to memory. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, again, I guess uh, I've, I've said it before or I've said it already. Hope is a big thing for me right now. Well, lawman, and just to add to your point, you know, you mentioned Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, also shot to death, you know, and then George Floyd, all in the last three and a half months. And, and here we are in 2020, incredibly still dealing with with this issue as a nation. And look, guys, we should mention that, you know, we are thinking and praying of, of Officer uh, Shea McAlonis from the Las Vegas Police Department, who was uh, critically wounded, um, you know, just uh, just last week. And as we sit here and tape this, just um, recently went through a, a second surgery. We have seen firsthand here in Vegas and, and, you know, the heroic work that police did during and in the aftermath of 1 October. Um, so we honor their work, but I, I guess, Shane, that the, there has to be a way, and, and we hope maybe finally in American life that um, here in 2020, this uh, horrific death of George Floyd, and, and then we mentioned Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor in the last three and a half months, finally, hopefully, will lead to you know meaningful and, and lasting change in American life. Well, certainly. I think, you know, 2020, when you mentioned it uh, first with the pandemic of Corona's COVID-19, uh, you know, a time for reflection, uh, a period of, you know, unique circumstances for, for the world. And then you move on to, to what has happened since. And, you know, I can't sit here and pretend to, to know. I thought I knew and, and, you know, I never consider myself racist in any form whatsoever. Um, I played a sport where... I thought it was fair, but it's not even near where it needs to be in the game of hockey for diversity and for acceptance of all, Um, you you know, and I think that's, you know, personally, as I can't go through, the only thing I can do, and I think Gary mentioned the words, you educate. Uh, For me, you know, I reflect on past circumstances and, you know, I've played with uh, people of of different color and, and accepted them as teammates, but... 
uh, you know, when I think back, maybe not enough. And, and I think that's why this, this education process, listening, learning, and then ultimately changing uh, is what we all have to do. And the acceptance needs to go up. And uh, a lot of things need to change here for us going through all these turmoils of 2020 to make the world a better place. And, and you know, that's on individuals. That's, uh, that's on us to be better. And I think that's kind of what this time has been for me. It's, it's, it's been a real, you know, eye-opening experience. And I think it's, it's something we all have to do for those who, you know, even thought they were on the right side of things. There's still more that you can do. And, uh, that, that's where we're at as we try to make the world a better place and, and certainly a more accepting place for, for all. Dan, uh, you know, I'm a big, I try to study history as much as possible. And I know you're a big history buff as well. And, you know, when you look back, the emancipation proclamation was, was issued in 1863, the civil rights act passed 101 years later. And here we are still, you know, dealing with this this scourge of racism in American society. Where do you fall on all of this and especially what you've seen over the last little while? I think it's an excellent point to bring up the history, Dave. And a favorite author of mine, David McCullough, is fond of saying history is the antidote to the hubris of the present. Uh, in other words, today, we think we know better than any time that has come before us. And sadly, it might take a, a horrific incident like the murder of George Floyd to open our eyes to that reality. We don't know everything. We don't necessarily know better than the people who have come before us, even though they have been trying to send messages to us. You know, we still think about our founding document. Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And Thomas Jefferson owned 200 human beings and never freed them. I think that that tells us that we can't boil down our reality or our national identity to 240 characters. Uh, we want to believe that all men are created equal, but living that life is an aspiration rather than a reality. So uh, it, it is emotional and I can only begin to imagine what it feels like for people who are um, in their lives experiencing things that are not equitable, that are not equal. Um, so it is an emotional experience for so many of us, um, but I think that while we are at first overcome by emotion, it does come back to how we think about things. Um, we all have experienced, aside from you know these these troubling you know battles of uh, civil society, we know that you know just with a, a loved one or a spouse or a friend, you might have a disagreement, and we know that responding emotionally can sometimes get you into more trouble. And how often we can take a step back, process what we're feeling, take a bigger picture sense of things, think about how to go forward. Um, so to answer your question, Dave, yeah. I mean, in, in addition to uh, the reading that I've done over the course of my life, I love history. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, some of the video services that I subscribe to have made it a point of uh, presenting um, civil rights related documentaries and films. I watched recently the, the Thurgood Marshall movie that came out a few years ago and, and others. Um, I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of listening. And, uh, you know, I come back to something that Shane said a moment ago. Uh, what am I doing? 
to make the world a better place? What am I doing in my life to make the world a better place? Um, you know, I'm a Catholic. I studied at a Jesuit university in New York City. And uh, one of the great lessons of the Jesuit priest is service to others. And um, I don't think that there is one simple solution that we can say, hey, every American should do this. Um, that's not how our society works. We, we have to look um, honestly at ourselves and think about what I can do to make the world a better place. And uh, for me, uh, again, it's uh, I, I, I pray on it. You know, I, I, I keep a Bible next to my bed. Uh, it's it's. It's very troubling uh, to think about. But, you know, we, we, we do look forward. You know, we, we, we are not going to just stop as a society. This is a nation of laws. Um, and that is what we were founded on. Um, and, and trying to figure out a way forward. Uh, I, I, I come back to what, um, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but uh, I think it's true. It's easier to destroy than to create. Um, and uh, I, I think that we, in, in a lot of ways, when we feel our passion to just tear down what has uh, been a, a, a shameful history to the American identity, uh, but I think that is easier to do than just the harder challenge, which is coming together and, and build on what we have and forge a way forward. Um, you know, Dave, uh, there's a John F. Kennedy quote that I'm sure you're familiar with that has something to do with we don't do these things because they're easy. We do them because yeah. they're hard. Yeah. Well, the other great one, Dan, is this nation, for all its hopes and all its boasts, will never be fully free until all of our citizens are free. And we have to be able to do better than this. And I think that I keep coming back to this. There has to we have to do better as a as a country and as a people. We owe it to black people. We owe it to people of color. Um, and hopefully that's what comes out of what's gone on in our country and in our world here over the period of the last month or so. I, I find it interesting, Gary, that NHL players are usually pretty resolute to say too much off the beaten path. You know, they're very humble by nature. Um, but when you see players like Patrice Bergeron and Jonathan Taves and Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid and Blake Wheeler, and I can go right on down the line, issuing statements of their own, you and, and they all freely admitted, look, we are white men as well. We have to learn more. We have to do better. Um, I thought was that I thought it was great of those guys and a big step in the right direction, people in our sport of that caliber to acknowledge that um, we have to do better. We have to do better as a, as a society and as a people, I thought was fantastic. Well, and I was really encouraged to Shane's teammates, former teammates, Tyler Sagan marching in Dallas and Zidane Chara marching in Boston. And that, you think about that. Um, and only recently have we started to see a few hockey players. Ben Scrivens comes to mind, uh, marching in pride parades. But for like this is a you know th these are political protests that have been violent and have had. There's been you know rioting and looting in some situations. And for uh, a couple of ten million dollar athletes, uh, you know. Um, 
I'm referring to their salary at certain stages uh, to be out walking amongst uh, uh, amongst the public like that. That to me that that was those were those were jarring pictures. Like that was it was one thing to see all of these guys go to social media, uh, and it was you know guys you know donating money, et cetera, et cetera. But for them to be just walking amongst the public and with no PR staff around them, like this was, these were individual acts of civilians waking up in the morning and saying, I'm going to put on my Nikes and I'm going to put on some sunscreen. I'm going to put on a ball cap and I'm going to go downtown and I'm going to march. That was, uh, that was very moving for me. And Shane, you know, those guys uh, real well. Won a Stanley Cup with them. That uh, that that takes that takes courage, but it also it it is different from what we've normally seen from hockey players. Well, it's and that's another thing that needs to change. You know, hockey players have typically been known to, you know, very cliche, keep things close to the vest, and and it, it doesn't speak to their their personality or how much they care. It's just kind of the way you're kind of brought up in the sport of hockey. Well, the other thing, you know, sport of hockey, and maybe I'm biased, but I think it's one of the biggest team sports where you spend. And yeah, there's other, you know, the other, you look at the other four major sports, but in basketball, you look, you got your big three or your five guys that play. And in baseball, you got, you know, pitchers really don't associate a whole bunch with, you know, the rest of the crew. You, you got football, that's a massive, you got offensive crew, you got a defensive crew, you got special teams. Hockey, you just got a team. And, and they're close and they've been known. I grew up where you had your teammates back regardless. Even, you know, what, what, whether color, whatever ethnicity, whatever you, whether you agreed on anything, but when it came to go out and perform, you had each other's back. And I think this is, you know, showing right now more than ever that they have these guys, they're behind them. Um, and now it's time to get out of the comfort zone, to get out, to speak, to be involved. And as I said earlier, to educate, to learn, and to change. And I think it takes the guys at the top, it takes the big names, uh, those leaders to to start that movement and to start the direction in the right way. And, you know, as we've heard, uh, you know, as of yesterday, now they've got a, a diversity group in charge here for the NHL, which is probably long overdue and, and much needed because as much as we thought things were okay, they, they aren't anywhere near where they need to be in the sport of hockey. And, you know, around the world, we know that, but, you know, uh, I'm speaking strictly to the to the sport of hockey. So, uh, and that's part of change. If we're going to change things, that's upon individuals to act in the proper way and, and to open their eyes. And for all of us to, to to instead of waiting for the next guy to do it, to be the guy that steps up and helps make a difference. Well, and Dan, to Shane's point, you know the the announcing recently of the hockey diversity allowance, uh, uh, hockey diversity alliance, in the against the backdrop of what's been going on in America and really all over the world. So you've got Akeem Alou, Evander Kane. They're joined by Trevor Daly, Matt Dumba, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward. That group has taken on this challenge, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, to try to continue to move this conversation forward and also make permanent and lasting changes for the better. Right. And, and when I, I think about, the, you know, the athletes that you just listed, you know, I, I, I think about what athletes in pro sports in North America have striven toward over the course of, um, you know, the last 70 years, 
Um, you know, Willie O'Ree in the sport of hockey. Of course, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball in the 1940s. This is, um, it just seems, uh, of course, uh, incomprehensible that we're, we're still working toward these things. But at the same time, um, it, it's rather than just brushing it off, I think that when you have an entity um, like this Hockey Diversity Alliance, it, it's something that um, people can rally around. It, it's rather than just, uh, you know, talking points here or there, here's something to, um, to centralize what can be um, something for young hockey players to, to look at and see, all right, this player is part of that. This player is part of that. Um, and this is what they stand for. Um, and I'm with that. You know, I, 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 I can't imagine what it is like for some of those young people who, um, you know, are dealing with um, racism as they come up through youth sports. Um, if you've made it to the major leagues, not that I ever have <laughs> or came anywhere close, but, um, you know, you've got to overcome a lot of things to uh, to get to a major league level in the NHL or any other sport. But I think that this is just as much about the the young athletes, uh, many of whom will never even play pro hockey or even major junior hockey. Um, I, I think that this sets an example for young athletes who are just um, starting to play team sports for the first time, because that's where uh, I think that our minds are so impressionable. And uh, to to set an example that begins with the youth of sports can go a long way to eradicating what we know now as systemic racism. Well, guys, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts uh on all of this that's gone on in our country and in the world over the last little while. Uh, you know, the immortal words of, uh, you know, it's been said often, if not now, when? When do we change? When do we change for the better as a people? Uh, and we're happy to be joined uh, coming up here momentarily by uh, Ryan Reeves, who's been a terrific ambassador uh, to minorities and black children, trying to get them involved in the game of hockey. And um, we are certainly anxious and curious to get his thoughts on uh, what he has seen through his eyes over the period of the last month. Ryan, so nice of you to take some time out of your schedule here. We know that uh, the good news from a hockey standpoint is you and the Golden Knights uh, kind of back on the ice and hopefully a return to action here sometime in the near future. But uh, we certainly wanted to get your thoughts and and what what you've made of what you've seen with your eyes here of what's going on in the United States, but I guess also the world in general uh, over the last uh, three to four weeks. Yeah, it's, you know, it's tough to watch because, uh, you know, so many people are suffering. There's been so much damage. There's been, uh, you know, a lot of lives lost, unnecessary lives lost. And, um, a lot of, a lot of communities destroyed. And, you know, it, it's it's tough because it's the culmination of years and years of things going wrong for black people, uh, you know, within the community. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to start off by saying I'm never going to use the word, uh, you know, bad cops be because not all cops are bad. I have a lot of I have a lot of police friends. I have uh, cops in my family. My dad used to work at a, as a sheriff. Um, so the you're never going to hear me say that cops are bad because I have a lot of respect for what they do and they keep our community safe. Um, at the same time, there are 
those bad apples in, in a lot of police, uh, in a lot of, uh, police forces. And, you know, there has to be some kind of change, you know, what's going on right now is there's a lot of, you know, you know, videos of, of, and stories of, um, you know, black men getting killed for, um, you know, they ask to see their ID and he goes to reach for his ID and he gets shot. And, and, uh, you know, George Floyd knee on his neck, can't breathe and he's begging for help and nobody comes to help him. And, um, you know, and, and these are at the hands of, of ignorance and, and misconduct. And, you know, when, when things like that happen over and over and over again, over years, you know, one incident's happened and, uh, you know, black people, they stand up and they say, listen, please stop this. We need equal rights. You need to look at us as equals and nothing happens. And then it happens again. And you say, please stop. We need equal rights. You need to look as, as equals. Why are you doing this to us? And nothing happens. And, you know, and then you start marching, begging for it. And then, you know, then the, the riots start happening. Well, if nothing's going to change, you, you can't expect something like this not to happen at some point. You know, I, I, don't, I don't condone the, you know, the burning down the, the communities. And, um, you know, I, I saw a heartbreaking story of this, this old lady. Uh, they, they burned down the, a grocery store right across from her street. Uh, and she was just crying. And she's like, this isn't what George Floyd would want. You know, I, I wish I was with George Floyd because... I don't have anywhere to go. I'm disabled. I don't have anywhere to go. I have nowhere to shop. And, and it broke my heart because, you know, these people who say they're, you know, they're standing up for their rights. They're, they're also burning down their communities and, and destroying their communities. So I, I don't condone any of that. But at the same time, you know, th there's been marches, there's been protests, there's been, there's been talks, there's been communication and, and nothing seems to be changing. And if, if you're going to keep going down the same path and nothing happens, you know, eventually there's going to be, there's going to come a boiling point. And I, I think we've hit that right now. You know, Ryan, one of the things I've heard a lot recently is it's not enough to not be a racist. You have to be non-racist. And I, I've known you for a long time uh, and have looked at you, uh, you know, as a friend, a colleague, an equal, but I've never kind of thought to myself, I wonder what he's going through. I wonder if he's, you know, I wonder if he feels alone. I wonder if there's been something going on, uh, you know, that, 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 that he's keeping inside that we don't know about. And uh, that, you know, obviously Dan, Dave and I are, are three white guys that, you know, can't, can't walk in your shoes. But um, I'm tr I've been trying to understand more and more and learn more and more to look at the world through, through your eyes. And I guess that my question to you be, would be, you know, how can we do more? How can we, and, and in micro and macro, like, you know what I mean? Like in the simple sense of has, uh, has friends, how can I do more to, to support Ryan in, in, you know, you're a black man, but a, a real minority in the hockey world. Um, how can I support you as a friend, but also how can I support all black people uh, in, in society? It's, it's such a tricky question because, you know, as somebody I know that isn't racist and that has, you know, respect for black people, it's hard for me to tell you, you know, this is what you have to do. I, I think, you know, the problem starts with, um, you know, people that are in power and, and the way they deal with things. 
Um, you know, I, again, I, I don't say there's bad cops, but when you see these things happening with cops, you know, it, there has to be some kind of reform in, in that sense. You know, I think when you have such little training as a, as a police officer, I like I, somebody told me that, you know, the training to become a police officer is not, not overly extensive. And I, I think there needs to be more training, more information, more background checks on who these people are. You know, I think that that's where it really needs to start. It needs to start from the top and then it trickles down to the bottom. You know, if you don't see people in power, um, you know, doing things that are affecting certain communities, you know, it, it's going to trickle down to you. But when you have, you know, when you have people that, you know, you look up to that run communities and run, you know, that are in government and they're, you know, the way they're running, it seems to be a little, you know, leaning towards one race. It's, you know, it's, it's tough to get behind. So I, it's hard for me to tell you what, you know, what, what you can do to change. You know, I think, you know, being just being respectful to all, to all races, you know, I, I was brought up and I, the one message I try and give to my kids is doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, everybody's equal and everybody's gone through something, but it, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you look like, what your past is. Um, you know, you have to respect everybody's an equal. And until that happens, you know, there's never going to be any real peace in, in the world, but, you know, especially right now in North America. Yeah. You know, Ryan, it's, I'm, I'm glad you bring up family because while we see so much of what's going on, um, as a international story, uh, I think that it, at least in, in, in my eyes, it's helpful to look at the individual, um, a single person's experience. Um, I wish that we would know more about George Floyd's individual experience and, and others. But I, I want to ask you about your life experience. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, you're a dad. Um, you have a dad who played sports professionally. Uh, I think that a lot of people um, could benefit from a, a heavy dose of empathy right now. Um, putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes and trying to see from that other person's point of view. So I guess I'm wondering, Ryan, how, what your point of view is in your personal experience growing up um, with, with your dad in particular and, and some of the other things that you would talk to your kids about. You know, I, I don't know if, I don't know how much my dad really experienced, you know, I think growing up in Winnipeg um, is very multicultural. You know, there's, a lot of different backgrounds in that city and all over Canada. Um, and I think um, for him being an athlete in that community and well-respected, I, I think, I don't think he had to go through a lot and, you know, and, and just the same for me too. You know, I, I was just talking about this other day. I've been very fortunate that I've made a name for myself in the cities I've played um, because I, I, I've never experienced real, real hatred and racism. You know, I've, I've definitely had, uh, you know, the N-bomb thrown at me a few times um, when I was younger playing hockey. And, you know, when, when you're younger, you don't really see the big picture of what that really is. Um, so when I was younger, that was, you know, I, I always brush that off. I'm like, listen, you got to live with yourself. If you, if you want to have hate in your heart like that, you, you're the one who has to live with yourself. But, you know, you're when you're young, you don't see that big picture and, and you don't see that that's such a problem in the community. Um but I will say this, there, there have been times where, you know, there was one time I got pulled over by a cop in Winnipeg when I, I didn't have a name and, uh, 
you know, I was driving kind of a beat down Pontiac 6000 and he, he pulled me over cause I rolled through a stop sign and I saw him coming up to the car normally. And I just locked eyes with him in my rear view mirror. And right when we locked eyes, he stopped, he undid his gun and he uh, pulled it out halfway. And I just, it made me so mad because I could tell it was because I was black and the first thing that came to my mouth was, do you do that with everybody? And he's like, don't worry about it. Give me your license ID. And it, it, I was so furious. It, it, it just kind of hurt that he would just look at me like he didn't know who I was. My dad was a cop in that city and he didn't know who I was. But, you know, for him to look at me that way, uh, it, it just kind of hurt. Um, you know, I've had I've had times where I'm walking down the street and I, um, you know, walk by a, a couple of girls or, you know, some older ladies and you can tell that sometimes they get a little anxious when they walk by. You know, I, I've had multiple times girls just, they grab their purse a little tighter. I've, I've had an old, older lady walk across the street when she saw me walking, you know, going to walk by her. And it's, it's just sad to see because, you know, to me, if that old lady had fallen on the street, I'd be the first person to go pick her up. But because, because of what maybe she was taught or the way she, she grow, grew up, you know, she looks at me and, and sometimes they see fear and it's just too bad that people have to live like that. And, and it's even more, you know, it, it's even worse that you have to be brought up like that. Like, you know, you see those, those things on the internet of, of kids, kids aren't born racist. They're taught it. And that's so true. No, no kid comes out hating black people, hating white people, hate, hating Arabs. No, nobody has ever comes out like that. It's taught. And it's just too bad that you know, people don't just look in the mirror and realize that teaching this is is not good for good for the world. It's it's not good for anything. It's it's very unhealthy, and and you can see what's happening right now because of it. Revo, what what form of racism do you think is more damaging? You know, there's the overt kind, right, where you see it with your own eyes, and you just kind of experience. Uh, talked about your experience, and then it's. It can be a lot more covert, right? Where, you know, to your point, like that woman didn't say anything to you, but she crossed the other side of the street. You know what I mean? Like, it, is it equally as, as painful, the overt and the covert for you? Well, you know, the, the story about that old lady, I think that's more heartbreaking because I, I don't, you know, I don't think that would be somebody who would look at me and, you know, you know, use, you know, call me the N bomb and, and, you know, I don't think it's somebody who would come out and say something. And I don't think it's even somebody that's really overly racist. I think it's just something that it, it was learned for a while through, you know, her parents or, you know, what, it, however it was taught to her. And I think that that experience was more just heartbreaking that, um, you know, that I had to go through, but that she was brought up that way or that she learned that, um, you know, the overt is, I think a little harder to deal with because that is just real racism. That's, that's just people who have an actual hatred and those people not only have the hatred, but are willing to teach the hatred to other people. And that kind of hatred spreads very quickly. Um, when, when, especially when you're around it a lot, um, you know, if you're, if you're a young kid growing up in a, a racist household, you have very little chance of growing up, not racist. You know, you do what your parents teach you to do. That's that's just how it is. You know, and so if if you're going to grow up in a racist household, that's just you've been taught that hate. 
Revo, it's, uh, you know, we were talking earlier in the podcast about the issue of race in America has been an issue since before the forming of this country. You've played most of your professional life in the United States, be it St. Louis, Pittsburgh, or Vegas. One of the things I, I continue to think about is, can you imagine, as horrific as it was to watch that George Floyd video, if that had not been caught on tape and it just happened and nobody ever knew about it? I'm wondering how it's affected you personally, because it seems from, again, from three white men, it seems like the reaction from the black community and for people of color has been enough was enough a long time ago, but this really is enough. How has it affected you? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking to watch. It's heartbreaking. You know, I said at the beginning, it's, it's heartbreaking to see communities torn apart over, over instances that, have, that, that keep happening. And, and you make a, you know, you said it very well that it, it you know, the, the years of social media are bringing light to a lot of these instances. If, if somebody didn't have a camera phone and didn't put that up on Instagram or Twitter, wherever it was first, yeah, you know, we may never have seen it. It may be on a, a local news channel and, and, you know, if the nation picks it up, they pick it up. But, you know, it's, it's even more heartbreaking that now that we have these camera phones and Instagram and Twitter so handy, how much stuff is really coming to light. You know, you don't you don't hear about it back in the day because it just you don't see the video. Yeah, a black man was killed by a cop. Well, that's where the story ends. But now, you know, you see these, you know, you see a, a guy getting pulled over, and the, the you know the cop asks him for his ID, and he reaches for ID and he shoots him. Well, you know, that wouldn't be a story back in the day if you, if there wasn't video about that. If the, if the cop didn't happen to be wearing a you know a, a camera on him, so it, it's. It's just heartbreaking, you know. There's there's people dying, there's communities being ripped apart, and you know for what? Because my skin's different than yours. Like, what what makes you most so much better? What makes me less? I was sitting with uh, our our other colleague Shane Knighty the other night, and the the topic came up about hope, where we are both. I think all of us are very hopeful that this is really the start of. Of, of real and lasting change and, and a better moment and a better future for, for everybody. And it, it must be, I've been really impressed with how uh, a lot of black people have had an open heart and haven't said, oh, now, now all of a sudden, your your racism is bad. Now all of a sudden you're willing to 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 hear us and to uh, and and to to start to get involved. You know and and but we haven't heard very much of that. It's been more. You know you see Tyler Sagan marching in Dallas, Zdeno Chara Chara marching in Boston. All of these guys in the NHL. Uh, you know Braden Holtby, Blake Wheeler, uh, on and on and on. All lending their voice to this. Are you hopeful, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, you got to stay hopeful. I, you know, I think... It, I think sometimes it's tough to be hopeful because of, you know, you know how long this has gone on and, and how many times, you know... You know, I, I lived in Ferguson, or I lived in St. Louis when the Ferguson incident happened. And 
everybody thought that was going to be the start of some change. You know, there were mass protests, there were riots, the city, you know, Ferguson basically burnt down and uh, everybody thought that was the start of change. And, you know, look at where we are a couple of years later, but you have to stay hopeful. You you have to hope that at, at some point people are just going to say enough is enough. And, you know, there's going to be some real change. There's going to be some real reform in, in, uh, in the police community. There has to, because without hope, then we're just kind of walking around blindly waiting for something else to happen and waiting for another explosion in a different city. Yeah. You know, Ryan, the, thing that you know when we we talked earlier in the podcast today about um what am i doing uh what are each of us doing um to just be better people um and and how there's no blanket statement to say every person should do this uh everybody's got to do it in in his or her own way um but i i know that sometimes um it, it takes more than just uh, an individual can take a group so uh, i am curious about what you see as um, how hope can manifest, um, in particular, the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance um, was announced just within the last uh, couple of days with a number of um, you know, f- uh, current and former NHL players uh, who are black. Um, Kim Davis, who is a vice president um, at the National Hockey League, is involved. Um, so I-, I wonder, first of all, w- what do you hope for that alliance um, or more broadly, what kind of things specifically in hockey do you hope for? You know, I think, um, you know, obviously for the for the alliance, uh, I reached out to Chris Stewart when I saw he was on there and um, I, I said, you know, I, I would like to get involved and I, I didn't get a lot of information from him. He was kind of busy, so I, I didn't uh, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but, you know, it, I'm assuming it's something along along the lines of you know bringing awareness to uh, the black community in hockey and in those cities and um, just helping helping bridge that gap um, you know between the white and black in, in hockey and and bringing a little more diversity and a little more you know a little more diversity into the sport. Um, I think that's so important. You know, there's there's a lot of cities that have a lot of black people in there and not even black, not just black people, but uh, other cultures. And um, they're just not exposed to the sport, um, you know, and, and there's very simple ways of doing it, you know, getting into these communities, you know, the, the, the league donates money to certain causes. And I think this is something they definitely need to look at uh, to get involved in, you know, you, you donate some equipment to, to, a, you know, in a, in a black community, you get, you know, build a rink that you don't have to pay to get into uh, that people, you know, kids can just go and, and learn the sport and have fun with the sport. You bring a couple uh, hockey players down to that area and, and just play some ball. You know, there's just so many simple things that, yeah, it might it may cost a little bit of money, but very worth it. And, uh, you know, it's just going to bridge that gap. Ryan, your voice is one that's powerful, well-respected. Have you been able to sort through in your own mind how do you think you might be able to best use your voice for positivity and, and some sort of lasting change? You know, it's funny. I, I've been thinking about it and it, it's taken me five, six days. And I don't know if I'm quite, I don't know if I'm quite there. You know, people keep texting me saying, you know, are you going to, are you going to tweet something? Are you going to put something on Instagram? And, you know, you know, respect to all the players that are doing that. And I, you know, I got nothing wrong with that. Um, 
I would like to use my voice a little bit more. Um, I, I definitely want to get involved with uh, with this alliance group. Um, you know, I, I've talked to uh, Tom Monahan, who's uh, you know our, our security guy here and uh, ex cop, and I asked him how I can you know get involved in the community with that. And so we're gonna we're gonna stay in talks, but um, you know I. I, you know, as as crazy as the world's going right now, you know, me being in the Vegas community, I don't want, you know, I don't want Vegas to turn into what some of these other cities are turning into. I I, got, I love this city and I, I love this community. And I, you know, I I hope that um, this is, I hope that these are these protests are you know peaceful and and actually have some kind of resolution to them. How that happens. I don't exactly know yet, but uh, I would definitely, uh, I would definitely like to be involved in, in those talks. Obviously, I think I heard you talking the other day about what it's, what it is like to have, you know, if it's, if you go to a a school where there's a bunch of black kids uh, and there's uh, a white hockey player uh, or, and a black hockey player, that the opportunity for those young kids for for to see that that black athletes can succeed in in hockey that's that has bigger impact for sure you know I, yeah I, I can't remember who I was talking to about that but um, you know when I was talking about how the NHL can get involved you know building these these arenas and, and giving them you know giving kids some equipment to go play bringing hockey players in well you know. A, a community of black kids, you know, and this isn't this isn't a racist thing, but a community of black kids would love to see a black athlete come in and and show them the sport. You know, they they want to see, hey, this guy this guy dresses like me, this guy wears Jordans like me, you know, this guy kind of talks like me. Oh, this guy's got earrings. I, I wear earrings too. You know, as as a boy, I can wear earrings because this guy. You know what I mean? Like they they want to see that kind of stuff. It makes them feel a little more comfortable in the situation and. You know, let's be honest. If you if you give a bunch of black hockey, uh, a bunch of black kids hockey equipment, they're going to be a little uncomfortable. They're not going to know what to do. You give them a you know, football, or basketball, they're going to know exactly what to do. So you need to make them feel comfortable in that environment, and then they're going to start having fun, and then they're going to start, you know, hey, let me go to a Knights game. Let me go, you know, what whatever game or whatever city they're at. Let me go to a game. Let me check out a practice. Oh, this guy's this guy's doing a sign over here. Let me go check him out. You know. That's the way you get these kids involved, but you have to make them feel comfortable. It makes me think that, you know, obviously Willie O'Ree has had a huge impact, but every time a black NHLer retires, he should be, you know, swept up into into a program that is, you know, that can go to every, that can go all around the world and and show the sport uh, and put different put different faces on the face of our game. For sure. And, you know, I, you know, retired athletes, I, you know, especially, you know, b- retired black athletes should definitely uh, look into doing stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I think the bigger impact is definitely the current athletes. You know, those, those are the ones that you can see, you know, Hey, I, I played hockey with that guy. He's on TV right now. Well, you know, now, that's my favorite player. Now I'm going to go get that jersey. Now I'm going to cheer for that team. You know what I mean? The, I think the current athletes are the ones that have the bigger impact. And, and, the, and the ones that are retired, they can have a very big impact as well. But I think the, the ones that are playing right now, they're the ones that can really drive this. Ryan, we appreciate your time so much. Thank you for sharing 
what this has been like for you, not only over this last stretch of time, but, you know, for your entire life. Um, I speak for myself. It's, it's educated me. Certainly, I could uh, I could use it as we all try to learn and listen and uh, and hopefully try to help change things. So thank you very much for taking the time today. We appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. And we thank Ryan Reeves for his time and his thoughts joining us here on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. Guys, if, uh, if your eyes weren't tricking you, you would have seen hockey players on the ice at City National Arena the other day. <laughs> so uh, the Golden Knights, along with the rest of the NHL, into Phase 2, uh, which are voluntary workouts, six players on the ice at a time, no coaches uh, allowed, um, and they have their certain time they're allowed to come to the arena, get ready for a skate, practice, and then depart the arena before the next group comes in. Um, but I, I've got to say, it, it, it's nice to be able to talk, uh, lawman, about players actually on the ice and then eventually knock on any wood you can find, and I'm tapping my own coconut. This will lead to a 24-team playoff tournament coming up here if everything goes right uh, as we move along through the summertime. Yeah, well, just to, you know, refresh our our listeners on uh, on what that would look like if and when they can uh, uh, find a time to, uh, first there would be a training camp and it would be anywhere from two to three weeks long. And it would be in uh, teams' own facilities in their own cities. It would have heightened uh, um, uh, medical testing and uh and heightened uh, sanitation, and uh, um, you know all of the all of the things that will be in a return to play document. That would that would be phase three, and then phase four would be uh, return to play. Um, each team would play two exhibition games. Uh, then there would be twenty four teams, four teams on uh, from the Eastern Conference, and four teams from the Western Conference would already have qualified for the playoffs and they would play a round-robin tournament amongst themselves, four teams in the East and four teams in the West, to determine seeding at the top of their conference. The other eight teams in each conference would play an opening round, play in best three out of five series, uh, and uh, those teams, the four winners from those two series would then advance to give you your bottom four in the East and your bottom four in the West. And then you would have reseeding. Um, those ones would be based on points percentage in the regular season. The top four would be seeded in order of how they placed in the round robin. And then you would have, you know, so one would play eight in the first round, two would play seven, uh, and so on and so on. And then after every round, there would be another reseed. What does that mean? Well, the Golden Knights would be in a round robin with St. Louis, Colorado, and Dallas. They would be, you know, the third seed in the West prior to this round robin. But if they were to win the round robin, they could shoot all the way to first. Why is that important? Well, uh, in game seven of the Western Conference final, Pete DeBoer would have last change. Uh, that uh, really that's what it boils down to because you're not going to be playing at home or away. You're going to be playing at a hub in an arena in front of no fans in a made-for-broadcast event. But, Shane, last change in a Game 7, pretty nice tool for a coach to have, especially a coach like Pete DeBoer, who, who is quite active in terms of matching during a game. 
Well, last change and and playing eighth seed instead of possibly fifth seed. So you know there there's a lot of advantages and and it's interesting. I think it makes for a more competitive round robin rather than just warm up games. They're 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 playing for something and it's interesting seeing a lot more people speak out because a lot you know prior to this or like anybody that was against you know the league coming back say well. This, this Stanley Cup winner will have an asterisk beside it. And we still don't know if they're going to play. We're very optimistic that they can get to phase, you know, phase two now. They got to get to phase three, then phase four. And they do have time to do that. There, there's a lot amount of time and waiting to make sure. But when I look at it, I think this could be one of the hardest Stanley Cups ever to win. And I think it's a very exciting format for fans. Uh, the play-in, the round robin, the seeding, uh, the reseeding after each round. Um, but as you mentioned, you want to be as high seed as you can and take as many advantages because, because of this way in which it's formatted, I think it's going to be very strategic and you are going to utilize more of your bench than you ever have, uh, to win these games. Coaches are certainly going to have to, you know, ha- have a game plan going in and certain ways in which they want to do this. And it'll be interesting to see, too, Dan, with, you know, there are expanded rosters, right? So you've got 28 skaters, three goaltenders, but more specifically to the goaltending part, you know, the Golden Knights made a huge trade before the trade deadline back in February and picking up Mark, uh, Robin Leonard. They feel like they, and they do, they have two elite goaltenders. I wonder how Pete DeBoer is going to dole that out in a compressed playoff schedule if and when they get to that point between Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury. It's amazing because how often have we had the discussion over the last three years? Got to save Marc-Andre Fleury. Got to make sure he's rested. (laughs) (laughs) Now you don't only have the addition of Robin Leonard to help ameliorate that issue. You have a pandemic that has had the players on the sidelines for a long time. So now you, you turn that on its head. How do you make sure that Marc-Andre Fleury gets enough games? So, yeah, I'm in the training camp, um, and, and I... I can only imagine what it's like for the players to get back into game shape uh, and, and what it's like for the goalies is, to me, probably a, an even harder thing to get that timing back and all of those things. So, um, you know, when, when the teams do practice um, as a whole, I can imagine, you know, the Pete DeBoer will want to have a lot of scrimmage-type scenarios in that practice. I mean, the guys want to play games. They want to be in game settings, and, uh, you know, with the added roster, Dave, um, you know, normally when we watch the Golden Knights practice, you're looking at, you know, 20, 21, sometimes 22 guys out there, including the goalies. This is going to be a larger roster. You're going to be able to have, inter, you know, intra-team scrimmages, I would think. Um, and, and therefore, you, you try to get the players and the goalies back into game shape. And then those, you, you think, okay, if it's two exhibition games, you know, Fleury plays one, Leonard plays the other. Um, and then even into the, the round robin, sure, you want to have the number one seed, but you can't get knocked out in the round robin. You know that you're moving on. I think that that still gives Pete DeBoer a window to get a feel for which goalie is sharper, but also to not go overboard and make a, 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 a rash decision just because one is hot, one is not. It, in the round robin stage, I think you could still be in a still feel it out because you're going to trust both goalies. Um, We also know, just thinking back to last year, um, when we all thought that Pete DeBoer should yank Martin Jones and put in Aaron Dell 
he didn't. You know, he stuck with Martin Jones, and it worked out for the Sharks, as, as we all remember. So uh, there's a psychology to it. There's Pete DeBoer's track record, but we've never dealt with anything like this in terms of uh, this amount of time off going into a postseason before. So you would think that Fleury and Leonard are rested and healthy, and then which one finds his game most quickly? And again, all this is stipulated on if everything continues to move in the right direction in terms of players' health and everyone yeah. staying healthy. Uh, they're still looking at roughly a month, as we sit here today, before they would get to phase three, which would be training camps. Uh, the league has stated that's not going to happen before July 12th. So you're still looking about a month away from that, a little over a month. And then with the hope, if all goes well, hopefully you look at maybe a, a date like August 1st on that Saturday Perhaps that's when things get geared up. And, you know, the other thing, Gary, that, that still has not been worked out, but I'm sure uh, at last check, Gary Bettman had talked about 10 potential spots. But, you know, how great would it be? You know, Vegas has been talked about. It seems like since this hub city idea has been in the air, uh, Vegas has been talked about um, pretty regularly for, for a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of good reasons. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out on on this, like for instance, uh, it, you know, it's some people have stated that Vegas would, if Vegas was a hub city, automatically the Golden Knights would be in the other hub city. That's simply not true. Um, if if Toronto was the eastern was it was the eastern was one city and Vegas was the other city, the Golden Knights would play in Vegas. You're you're you need you have Eastern time zone. Teams, you want them to play in the Eastern time zone. You have Western time zone teams. You want them to play in the Western time zone. If the two cities turn out to be Vegas and L.A., yeah, the Golden Knights will play in, in L.A. They won't play in Vegas. But if you have a East team, West team, you are not moving the East teams out of the Eastern time zone to confuse the fans that want to watch their team play in in prime time. Uh, that that's simply would be asinine. Um, the players are going to be in a hotel anyways. There's not going to be any fans in the building. So as far as having a home ice advantage, um, uh, you know, I, I guess the Golden Knights would probably get to be in their own dressing room. How much of an edge is that? Uh, not enough to uh, to put the. This is a made for broadcast event. And that uh, the what is best for the broadcast is going to play uh, a major role in in these decisions. So th that's that's one element. Uh, how they're going to pick these hub cities? Well, I think mean, th the the level of disease in in uh, of COVID nineteen, th they're not going to go to a city where COVID nineteen is exploding. That's uh, that would be foolish, you know. Uh, you want to go to a place where there is as few as sick people, uh, sick people as possible. Um, that is why, you know. I, I know Winnipeg was a city that was not mentioned has the final ten. I have heard from a number of places that Winnipeg is still very much in consideration. They haven't had a new case of COVID in about a month, and I believe as of this morning, they have six active cases in the entire province of Manitoba. So, um, you know, they, they, they have the, a great hotel situation like Vegas? No. Their hotel situation isn't as good as Edmonton. 
Um, but uh, they have an NHL rink that has, I b- believe they have the dressing room facilities that they would, that they would need there. Uh, they have the back, uh, back of house capabilities of a, of an NHL building. Edmonton is a really interesting prospect. The Canadian cities are interesting because um, I think the Canadian dollar is trading today uh, right around uh, 73 cents against the U.S. dollar. So if you're Gary Bettman and you're, and you're not having any fans in the seats and you're, so your revenue is, is greatly diminished and you know you're going to be writing it huge checks uh, to put this event on, if you can save 25 to 30 percent uh, right off the top in terms of, of spending U.S. currency in a Canadian city, that makes it attractive. Um, uh, I also, yeah, in one sec, Dan, I also think that they want to have an East City and a West City. And I also think they want to have a Canadian city and American city. The, the league is, there are seven Canadian teams uh, in the league. There is... Um, you know, still the majority of players are born in Canada. Uh, Canada is very important to the National Hockey League, as is the United States. So splitting that is, uh, I think, would be an attractive option for them as well. Gary, my thought is, and, and I'm with everything you just said, realistically, given the the nature of the, the where the Canadian government is right now in terms of people going in across the border, how does that affect things right yeah. now? So June 21st is a really important date. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, extended, along with uh, the United States, extended uh, the, the the border. Clo- the border's closed right now, except for essential workers. And um, in Canada, a hockey player is not an essential worker. In the United States right now, a hockey player is. Homeland Security, uh, um, th- through uh, an executive order, has opened the border for, um, for, for NHL players. So if you're a Swedish player in Sweden and you want to come back to the United States, come on back. If you're a Canadian player and you're in, uh, you know, you're in Canada... Uh, at your summer home and you want to come back to the United States to play hockey, you can, can come back. The other way around right now, not all, every player, Canadian-born players that are based in the U.S., they can go back to Canada. They would have to quarantine for 14 days, which is another sticky issue because if they pick Edmonton as a host city, as a hub city, or any Canadian city as a hub city, and the players all have to quarantine for 14 days, that doesn't work. Bill Daly has said... That 14-day quarantine is, um, well, basically, if it's still in effect, we can't go to Canada. Shane, in terms of the Golden Knights roster right now, we mentioned the goaltending situation. 28 skaters as well. Looks like they're going to be able to carry. Who are the extra guys? I mean, guys like Nick Haig, Oscar Dansk. Where do you where do you fall on some of the extras? If if they're, they might have to go deep into their roster with a compressed playoff schedule. Well, this is where we always talk about uh, you want to do your best because you never know. So you look at, well, previously Chicago, now the Henderson team, players from there that, uh, you know, had successful seasons. And and possibly do you look at maybe one or two young draft picks to have and just come and share the experience and that you maybe feel could be ready if you needed them on an emergency basis. So there's opportunity there for, for the scouting staff, the management group, to really look at players and how they want to group this team together. Um I really think uh, this goaltending, and we knew it was a huge trade going into what was previously uh, a playoff situation, but now into this format, 
I think it's even a bigger trade because if you don't have a goalie that's hot, if you're number one guy, because they, you know, you play a full season, they're going to, you're going to have them at his best. But to come out of this, there's so much unknown, but to have two number one guys, you know, that, that that's a lot of reassurance there that, okay, if one guy, we can allow him a little more time to get ready. Whereas you normally you can't, if he's not ready, your team's in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, that two goalie factor is going to be big. And I think we've saw it with a lot of teams, you know, the Boston Bruins, the Dallas Stars. There's there's certainly been teams this year out there that have performed well and feel comfortable. And I think that was a huge area for the Golden Knights to really cover. And even more so now going into this type of format, if they get to phase four and, and you know, the round robin, everything they got to do to have two goaltenders who can perform and, and health. Every team's going to be healthy going in. Uh, these guys are going to have a chance to really get themselves ready. If we're looking at the earliest they could play is August. They, they still got a lot of time here. And, and the big question I get is, you know, how long is it going to take guys to, to get back to game speed? Well, they'll, they'll be ready. They'll be as conditioned as they possibly can. It's going to take them a few games. Uh, they'll have a couple exhibition games. Um, and hopefully, uh, I think, they'll be able to adjust quickly. That's going to be another factor. Which team can get to their A game the quickest uh, is certainly going to be beneficial for that group. So uh, that's where I said earlier, there's a, there's a lot of things for the coach. The other thing with goaltending is they're going to look at different styles. you got between Flurry and Leonard, we're talking, it's not, you know, two strict butterfly athletic goaltenders. They're, they're, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum in the way they play. So how do they match up with the style of the other team or who you're going to meet up against? That's going to play a factor in this. And, uh, you know, they, they, they would go back to what I said. It's going to be very strategic in how this is approached uh, on so many different levels, uh, right from putting together the roster uh, to the goaltending, to you know the style of play, and to the ability to get back to your game quickest, how you can prepare your players. That's uh, it, why I think uh, I'm very excited. I, I am extremely intrigued of this tournament style. It'll remind you of whether Olympics, World Cup, World Championship style. It's going to be hockey from noon to midnight for people. If uh, if you're a hockey fan, you'll be able to watch this uh, thoroughly on a TV and spend your days watching great hockey. So. Uh, I'm excited and optimistic that we can get to that point. And you know that there's going to be uh, at least one of these teams that would not have made the playoffs yes. that's going to go to the conference final. And there's going to be them. one, right? Absolutely. The numbers that I, I've referred to a few times, guys, you go back to the last time there were best of five playoff series in the NHL, 1986, and of the eight opening rounds, the higher seed won only four times. The lower team won as often as the better team. And of the four division winners, they won one series. They went one and three <laughs> in the 1986 postseason when it was best of five. So best of five already, you know, shakes things up. The time away from the game shakes things up. But also when you, we take the, the the teams who might have been playing well down the stretch um, after bad starts, you know, young teams that figured it out, or uh, I think of the Rangers and, you know, the goaltending situation that's un unfolded there. You know, they're going to – I am – like, you could have one of these teams. It was kind of like the Washington Nationals. Like, one of these teams that maybe would not have been a part of the playoffs could go very far even win the whole thing. It's just fun. It's a little gimmicky, but it's fun. <laughs> the drama gets amped up and the – Margin fair. So we'll just be speak specifically. 
Carey Price goes and the Montreal Canadiens going to Pittsburgh and Matt Murray starts the first game for the Penguins and Murray is shaky and Price steals the game. And now all of a sudden the Canadians are two wins away from bouncing the Penguins. Mike Sullivan has got a excedrin size headache <laughs> on his hands. He's got a he's got a he's got to go to Tristan Jari for sure for game 2 and hope that he has it and that and if he doesn't have it and Price steals game Two as well, and now Montreal has the opportunity to go back to Montreal. Well, they're not going back to Montreal. They're going to their back to the back to the Hub City <laughs> Rink, <laughs> up two nothing in That's a series. And and now and now Price is saying, "I get one more win, and we're and we're moving on." Uh, boy, oh boy, um, the cheeks will get tight. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely thought. Well, and you think of teams like Pittsburgh, like Columbus, that have bis- just been besieged with injuries, right, to key ah. players all year long. Um, you know, the Golden Knights had, had guys banged up when, when the pause started, right? You had Stone, Pacioretty, Tuck, um, all out of the lineup. But now... And the thing with Pittsburgh is like Jake Gensel wasn't supposed to play anymore. Well, I think he's probably going to be able to play, right? Coming yeah, off yeah, for sure. Major yeah. shoulder surgery. So, yeah, it'll be incredibly intriguing, some of these matchups. And you'd love to see some, you know, just some upsets. To your point, the teams that weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs in theory, that all of a sudden the Chicago Blackhawks are in the playoffs. Oh. What, like, if they <laughs> blow the, what if they blow, blow the Oilers' candles out be in the three out of five? Oh, like it just oh, the, the media yeah. in Edmonton will lose their collective minds. Yeah, like they haven't had to deal with enough over the last since when oh six. Recount, right? recount. Yeah. This yeah, is exactly. not good. We yeah. need a recount. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, guys, this has been uh, you know it's been fun to be able to talk about some hockey. To be honest with yes. you, and talk about uh, guys back on the ice and and uh, fingers crossed that uh, they continue to take. Uh, take uh, good steps forward and certainly in the bigger picture uh, we all hope that as a as a country we're able to take some enormous steps forward and much needed uh, steps forward we, we thank ryan reeves for his uh, his time and his perspective on on what he has seen through his eyes over the period of uh you know really not over over the last month but um you know during his lifetime so we thank him for his time and uh Guys, continue to do whatever it is you're doing. I'm sure it's nothing that productive, but uh, in any event, that's going to wrap it up, and we'll talk to you uh, next time. Stay safe, everyone, on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast.